John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he who, of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of God. Well, good morning, family of God. It is a beautiful opportunity we have today to remember that Jesus was born for you. There's a song that we sing around this time, and it starts off with these words. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? This morning, we're considering the question, who is this child or what child is this? You ever think about the reality that Jesus was sleeping? That the incarnate son of God became flesh and had to be slapped on the bottom to be able to breathe. The one who breathed stars into existence. That he screamed and yawned and pooped and cooed. Who is this child? This question is incredibly real for a couple of our families. If you didn't know, Gavin and Stephanie just gave birth to Alden and, well, Stephanie did. And John Mark and Candace just welcomed Silas into the world. So this reality of Babies is, is very real for our congregation this morning in the life of these two families. And it should be real for us. Because when we look at the baby in the manger, we're not just seeing a baby like the ones that are at Norman Regional Hospital. When we look at the baby in the manger, we see God in the flesh. And I want to meditate on that reality this morning. So would you bow your heads with me one more time? I want to pray and ask for God's help to be able to do this and to think well about this reality that the baby in the manger is the son of God. Father, we thank you so much for your grace to us. Thank you for your word that's proclaimed to us. Thank you for for the Bible in our language. I'm reminded just through Kent's prayer earlier that The ability for us to be able to meet together here now is a freedom that we so often take for granted. God, we thank you that your desire is to meet with us. And I pray this morning that through the words you've given me to speak, you'd by your spirit be drawing us near to Jesus, helping us to see clearly who Jesus is. Give me clarity of mind and the ability to to speak clearly what you want to communicate to us as a congregation this morning, Lord, and help us to, to hear it and receive it as the very words of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, there's three things that I believe this text points out about who this child is. The first one is that this is the eternal word who has become flesh. The second is that this baby in the manger is the radiance of the father's glory. And the third point is that this baby in the manger is the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth. And I want to unpack those three ideas this morning as you walk through this text. The first one is that this baby in the manger is, is the eternal word who has become flesh. Look at the first verse printed in our bulletin, verse 14. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is God's eternal word. When we look at the baby in the manger, we are looking at, the pers- at a person who existed before he was born. When we look at the, at the baby in the manger... We're looking at a person who existed before he was conceived by the Virgin Mary. When we look at the the baby in the manger, we're looking at a person who existed before the prophecies about his birth. When we look at the baby in the manger, we are looking at a person who existed before the world came into being. This is what John means when he describes Jesus as the word. He is referring to what he described in the opening lines of this chapter. And if you hear About two weeks ago, we looked at this in depth at the first three verses of this chapter, which say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, in these opening three verses, John is alluding to the Trinitarian nature of God. There is only one God who is creator and Lord of all. And this God exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is not three gods, but one God. This is not three lords, but one Lord. The Father exists eternally with the Son in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. But this is not three eternal beings, but one eternal being. The Word, who is also known as the Son, has always existed and cannot be created. Yet, John here says that the Word became flesh. The Word, the Son, who cannot be created, became flesh. Now, if this blows your mind, it should. John Mark wrote about this passage, and he said this. He said, it's hard for any of us to understand. Reality has a way of being more complex and beautiful than we had imagined. Reality has a way of being more complex and beautiful than we had imagined. Sometimes when we think about the way things really are, it doesn't quite fit with what we can explain. And yet in it, there's beauty. This reality is truly complex, but it is in fact beautiful. That the eternal word of God dwelt among us. This word dwelt among us, we looked at a few weeks ago when we were walking through the book of Exodus. And the word here is tabernacled. Some translations say, the word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. Eugene Peterson in the message says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Took up residence with us. Moved into the hood. Dropped his spot on the block. When we talk about incarnational ministry, this is what we're talking about, is, is moving into the hood, 
living next door to folks. And what we're saying, what this passage is saying is that the, in, the, the word of God that has existed before time and space, that has always existed in the fellowship of, of love and joy of the, of the Godhead, moved into Nazareth, a podunk town on the edge of Galilee, and made the presence of God fully present in time and space. Now in Exodus, we see that the presence of God was present in the tabernacle. The last part of Exodus that we read, the very last sermon that John Mark preached in Exodus, we saw the glory of God descending in a cloud such that not even Moses could enter it. We see a similar happening when the, tem- when the temple is dedicated. The fullness of God's presence. And yet here we see an even more fullness of the presence of God because the word of God became flesh and lived among us. The presence of God is most fully seen in the person of Jesus Christ. So who is, who is this child? This child has always existed and yet is taking up residence in our hood. That's who this baby is. The presence of God is most fully seen in the person of Jesus Christ, which leads to our next point. Not only is this baby in the manger the eternal word who has become flesh, this baby in the manger is the radiance of the Father's glory. Look with me at the rest of verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Now, throughout Scripture, we see that no one has ever seen God. No one can look on God and live. And yet here John is saying, we have seen his glory. And he's, he's probably referring to that, that beautiful day on the mountain of transfiguration in which Jesus began to shine like lightning and Peter, James, and John fell down like like dead men as Jesus communed with Moses and Elijah. We have seen his glory. But we also know, not only does he mean that brilliant display on the mountaintop, but what John tells us one chapter later is that when Jesus is at the wedding and he turns water into wine, he said, this is the first of Jesus' miracles where we, did, we, we, we he revealed his glory. John is saying that we see the glory of God in the everyday occurrences of Jesus' life. When Jesus encounters reality, we see the glory of God. Now, this is spectacular. Because when the Bible talks about glory, it's talking about the goodness of God as it is manifest, as it is perceived. The goodness of God is evident in creation. On mornings like this, we remember that the sun shines is evidence of the goodness of God, but so is the fog, right? The fog reminds us that not everything that is real can be seen. Not everything that is worth seeing can be seen. I remember when I first learned about why the sun goes up and down. And someone says, so why is the sun not shining? Well, the sun is always shining. We just can't always see the sun. Because sometimes we're on the opposite side of the world from where the sun is. The sun didn't stop. It's that I'm no longer in its view. 
Sometimes the most beautiful aspects of reality are the aspects of reality that we cannot see. And sometimes they're hidden for a reason, so that God's glory might be seen as it's revealed. We see that with the sunshine and the fog. We see the goodness of God with the rain. Remind us of the glory of God that even when we don't even ask for daily bread, he provides it. Even when we forget to look for daily bread, it's there for us to find. We see it in the flowers, how they open their buds to the sunshine. Like we are made to reflect the beauty and the glory of God. This week, hopefully, you'll experience the goodness, the glory of God, as its glory is somewhat tainted but still evident in the food that we consume. I'm pretty excited about breakfast of cinnamon rolls and lunch of ham and maybe cranberry sauce. Thanks, Robert. But the goodness of God, the glory of God is refracted but yet evident in creation. The goodness of God is evident in the people that God's created. Reed and Katie and some of you know more than I do about how beautiful and intricate the human body is. About how eyesight is miraculous. How we can't explain it. And yet God gives it so freely and so richly and so abundantly. God's goodness is evident in relationships. When relationships work and when relationships are worked out, we see God's goodness in providing people with whom we can do life. And yet what John is saying here is that none of those places are the primary places that we find the glory of God revealed. The primary place that we see the glory of God is in the person of Jesus Christ, in the baby in the manger. When I think about why this is, I was meditating on this idea. A number of parables could have come to my mind, but the main one that came to my mind was about, uh, remember the parable of of the lost sheep? I read this story recently to my son, specifically from the children's storybook Bible as presented by Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And as he talks about what this is like, he gives this description of these sheep. He said, a man had a hundred sheep. Ninety-nine of these sheep did what they were supposed to do. They stayed in the pen, but he had one stinky, smelly old ram who liked to get himself into trouble. He liked to wander off, go where he wasn't supposed to be. And one day the shepherd went out to count the sheep, make sure they were all cared for. He found that his old ram, the stinky, smelly, rebellious sheep, had wandered off. So he left the 99 good sheep who had stayed where they were supposed to be. And he went off in the muck and the mire, dirtied himself to find his dirty, rebellious, stinky, smelly old ram. And he finally found that ram the one he was looking for, the one he probably should have been turned off by. And when he found it, he rejoiced and he picked that ram up and put the ram on his shoulders and walked back home. And he got back home and he called all his friends and he said, the one that I've been looking for has been found. Join me in this celebration. 
Isn't that just like God? The one that he should have forgotten about. The one that made him smelly by the smelliness of himself. The one who liked to wander off, the rebellious one, was the one that he went after. And when he found that sheep, he rejoiced and threw a party and covered the shame and celebrated that smelly old ram. Just like God does with us. See, before you or I were looking for God, before you and I even knew we were hungry for something that even came in the realm of what God could provide, God came looking for you and me. He saw us in our muck and our mire. He saw us when we were too stuck to move for ourselves. And he came after us with a love that pursues, that is never ending. He came after us. And for those who have trusted in Christ, who have accepted and seen that love, he's freed us and drawn us into his presence. And even now, we get to join in the celebration of the angels that happens every time a sinner turns to Jesus. That's who God is. When we look at Jesus, we see the glory of God manifested. This is what we also see in the last part of verse 18. Look with me. The last verse printed in our text. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. What John is saying is that This is what God has always been like. The God who rescues sinners. The God who redeems and restores the broken. The God who can create something out of nothing. The God who can turn shame into rejoicing. Who can bring those isolated and put them into a community. The God who can take the downcast and raise them up. This is what God does with us. This is who God is. It's most fully revealed. In Jesus Christ. Jesus is the eternal word become flesh and he is the radiance of the father's glory. But not only that, Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth. Look at the end of verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Everyone say grace and truth. Now, these words are really, really important for us. Grace is a New Testament riff of an Old Testament idea. And it comes from the Hebrew word, which is chesed, which is the word that we translate so often, steadfast love. This is that never-ending, unbreakable love that God shows toward his people. Truth. When we talk about truth, this is Riffing off the Old Testament word of Echmet, which is faithfulness. God's faithfulness, that he always keeps his promise. He never tells a lie. It's impossible for God to lie. Everything he communicates is truth, and he always keeps his word. So when we hear John say that this Jesus, this baby in the manger, is full of grace and truth, we're hearing him say, yes, it's the embodiment of God and the character of God. It's the name of God presented in human flesh. And it is the embodiment of steadfast love and faithfulness. John continues to unpack this for us in verse 16. Read with me in your bulletin where he says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. 
grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What John is saying here is that he already had one grace. And that grace was given through Moses. It was the law. And the law is gracious. The law shows us what God is like. God is one. Therefore, you should have no other gods before me. The law shows us what God is like. And it calls us to dwell in the presence of God. But the problem is, is that none of us can live up fully to that gracious law. The law does show us God's glory. It shows us who he is. But it also reveals to us that we can never fully measure up to that glory. Yes, the law says, don't lie about people. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. But it also reminds us of how many times we've cloaked the truth. And our motivations have really been for deception and not for support of other people. Yes, the law tells us that that the glory of God means we keep our relationships pure and clean and we stay faithful to our promises when he says don't commit adultery. But it also reminds us of how far we fall from faithful commitments to our relationships. Yes, the law tells us don't murder. Give yourself for the love and the life of other people, but yet so often that reminds us of how far we fall from that. That so many of our decisions are made based on what it's going to do for us, not do for the other. See, the law is gracious, but it can't fully reconcile us to God. But what John is saying here is that Jesus is the fullness of that grace and truth. It's grace upon grace. It's grace that outdoes, that considers not irrelevant, but totally fulfills the other grace. That grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because Jesus, the baby in the manger, isn't going to stay a baby forever. He's going to grow up. He's going to turn three and four. He's going to have a bar mitzvah and turn 12. He's going to be found in the temple asking a bunch of questions to uh, the lawyers. He's going to go out to the wilderness and be tempted by Satan and never once fail. He's going to come in and into Galilee. And when he sees lepers, he's not going to run when they say unclean. He's going to reach out his hands and touch them, knowing that from his very being is coming cleansing and rebirth and renewal. He's going to look out on the tax collectors, who everyone else would say are Rebels against God's true people. He's going to call them to himself, dine with them, commune with them, feast with them. And then he's going to be executed as a criminal. He's going to die the sin that you and I deserve to die so that our sins can be forgiven. So that we could have life everlasting. So that we could be people through whom the grace and truth of God are seen as we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus. Who is this baby in the manger? This baby is the fullness of grace, the fullness of truth, who, yes, exposes our sin, but then forgives our sin and gives us new life with him. Now, this is 
beautiful that the baby who we celebrate in three days is not only a baby like we find in Norman Regional, but this is God come in the flesh for you and for me. Which means that our role and our responsibility as grateful receivers of this grace is what we see in verse 15. Look with me at this parenthetical remark that John makes in the middle of this passage about Jesus. He says, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. See, John the Baptist stands in the line of the prophets of God, whose role was to bear witness about who this Jesus is, whose role was to give testimony, eyewitness account about who this Jesus is. And he did that. He said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. He recognized that his cousin, who was born six months before him, actually existed long before he was even a speck in his mother's eye. Long before Elizabeth realized she couldn't get pregnant, Jesus was existing. He was alive. He was causing all things to come into being, even John himself. It's the same thing with you and me. We have the opportunity to bear witness to this eternal word, to bear witness to this radiance of the Father's glory, to bear witness to the fullness of grace and truth. And you know what's really encouraging is that because Jesus is alive and because when he was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father and sent the Holy Spirit into you, that you're doing that even when you don't believe that you are. You are witnesses. You are a testimony. You are the eyewitness account that Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, has come in the flesh. Why? Because if you're born again, you're bearing fruit. Jesus says in, later on in this book, in John 15, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Which means if, if, I, if you look at your own life, which I encourage you to do in the next week or so, it's what we do around New Year's. I encourage you to ask the question, how have I seen the work of God in my own life this year? Do you have more love this year than you did last year? Do you have more joy this year than you did last year? Do you have more peace in the midst of the storm than you did last year? Then you're an, you are an eyewitness account. You are a testimony. So give that testimony. As we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus, as we remember who God is, who this baby in the manger is, as we look upon Jesus and dwell on him, he promises to make us more into his image. So if 
today, you came to the service this morning discouraged by relationships, by your own inability to measure up. If you came this morning wondering who can see God's work in your life, just know that he is the one who lives in you so that you can bear witness about him. Now, this is what John is communicating, I think, here in this, in this text about Jesus. And I want to make a quick turn to something that's been capturing my attention about the Christmas story. Do you remember in Luke chapter 2, where we read about the birth of Jesus, the actual birth of Jesus? Do you remember, if you look over there in Luke chapter 2, what you would find is that Jesus comes to those often who don't always think that much about themselves. And that's been incredibly encouraging to me. The first people that Jesus comes to, the first people that, that it's revealed that this, this Jesus, this, this eternal word, this fullness of the Father's glory, this fullness of grace and truth has come to is the shepherds. The shepherds who spend a lot of their time getting dirty with sheep. The shepherds who do their work on the margins of society who nobody else would, would see or receive. These are the ones to whom the warriors of light, the angels came and said, glory to God in the, in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. He told them that the universal peace of God has come to the world. He didn't come to those who sat in the palaces. He didn't come to those who had all the political power and authority. He didn't come to the religious leaders who were setting out and interpreting the law. He came to those who were out messing up with sheep, out messing with the stinky, out looking for the lost rams. Christ Community Church, I just want to encourage you this morning that every time you give yourself in steadfast love and faithfulness in your relationship with a coworker, Every time you wake up in the morning and pour yourself out one more day for those that you live with and go to school with and work with. Every time you decide to remember that the baby that was born in the manger was not just some human being that lived a long time ago, but this is the eternal son of God who has always existed and for whom we're created to exist. Every time you do that, you bear witness to who Jesus is. And every time you do that, you recall the reality that God is reality. That through him, everything else is seen clearly. When we do that, we have the opportunity to be infused with the power and the joy and the love of God. Let's encourage one another today. That God is alive in the person of Jesus Christ. And he lives in you. He lives in me. Let's honor one another. Let's call that out. Let's remember together what Christmas Means. Let's remember together who this child is. Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Our Father, I thank you so much for your word that's been given to us. 
I thank you, God, that you didn't leave us to try to figure out life on our own, but you gave us your revealed word of what full divinity and full humanity looks like in the person of Jesus Christ. I thank you that you didn't leave us just with that information, but but when we die to ourselves and confess our sins and accept your forgiveness, that you give us life in your Son, through whom we can be eyewitnesses and give testimony to who you are. So I pray now as we go to the table, we remember who you've made us to be. We take Jesus as our sustenance and commit once again to giving testimony, bearing witness to who you are with our actions, with our words, and with our lives. In Jesus' name.